right. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, I am excited to be here. And uh, man, I think every time you get a bunch of people gathered together and they're worshiping God, that's the most important thing to go down every Sunday. I mean, I love it. Right now, if you come to my church, you don't get any of this. <laughs> it's a little quiet over there right now. Um, but yeah, I'm grateful for the honor to get to preach God's word with all of you. But I'm even more grateful that I get to be here with all of you today. Aberdeen has been a great fit for my family and I. We've been kind of hanging out here with y'all for the past few months. And, you know, Pastor Greg preaches from the Bible, which is great. And all of you are always so supportive of myself, my family, and this kind of season that we're in, in this early stage of planting a church, of starting a new congregation just a few miles south of here at Lake Avenue. Um, you know, we're actually planning to launch our Sunday morning services, um, hopefully this fall. So we're looking at October, September. A lot of the building renovation is nearing completion, and we're staying really busy with all sorts of youth ministry, like high school student activities. We have a monthly prayer service that gathers, and uh, it's, it's, it's been so exciting. It's nothing short of a miracle to be on the front row of everything that God is doing to grow this new congregation, this new church. And it's through the generosity of many local churches and friends that we continue to experience more and more support. Um, if you're interested in learning more about how you can invest in the work that God's doing at Lake Avenue, I'd humbly ask you to take, I brought some of these, I keep forgetting to give these out. We have a bunch of these little prayer cards. It's just a picture of my family and I and uh, a bunch of little things you can pray for us. I'll, I'll put them up here later on, but if you want to grab one of those, um, I know many of you are praying for us already, but it's just a kind of a fun thing to, to remind you. Um, you can also visit our website at lakeavenue.org. Okay, so several months ago, I had the opportunity to preach here at Aberdeen for two weeks in a row. And despite the fact that I knew I would only be preaching um, for two Sundays, I made the decision that I was going to start a three-part series on, uh, on the prayer of Jesus, kind of the last night before he was arrested. And so I'm excited to say that today we'll be finishing part three of the three-part series, just a few months overdue. So to recap, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night, um, it's late in the night. The disciples and Jesus all had their last supper together. Judas had left earlier to betray Jesus and have him arrested. And what we're going to see in John chapter 17 is the prayer that Jesus chose to pray that night. You know, a good question would be, well, how do we know what Jesus was praying and well, a simple answer would be that Jesus must have chosen to pray out loud so his disciples could hear the prayer as well. He wants us to hear what he's praying. In the first part of the prayer, we learned about Jesus praying for himself and for the glory of God to be revealed through him. In the second part, we learned about Jesus praying specifically for his disciples that night. And in the final part, today, we are going to see Jesus pray for all of the future believers. In other words, we are going to see Jesus pray for us. We need to realize that Jesus could have chosen to pray for any number of things. Jesus could have prayed that every person who would one day become a Christian would have humility. He could have prayed that we would show love. He could have prayed for kindness or abundant generosity. 
Or what if Jesus prayed that one day every church planter who moved to Pueblo would be extremely rich and successful and famous? I wouldn't mind that. No, I'm just kidding. But any of these things would have been great. But instead, Jesus raised the bar. Jesus prayed for the one thing that would require the combination of all these things and more. Jesus prayed for us to have unity. We live in an age where unity is becoming more and more rare. Outrage culture is all the well rage. Everyone is divided and viciously upset at one another. I once mentioned in public that I voted for Obama when I was in college. And another Christian told me that it would have been better if I would have just killed myself. Another Christian said that to my face. And in that moment, we were not united. This happened about six year, five or six years ago. And things have only gotten worse. It's as though we have traded unity for an echo chamber where we want to be exclusively surrounded by like-minded people at all times. But Jesus prays for our unity. It's a challenging thing. You know, I'm reminded of this story I once heard of an old preacher who was dying, and he sent a message to an IRS agent and his lawyer. Both were church members to come to his home, and when they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. As they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and motioned for them to come and sit on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands and sighed contentedly, smiled, and stared at the ceiling. For a time, no one said anything. Both the IRS agent and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the old preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moments. But they were also puzzled. The preacher had never given them any indication that he particularly liked either of them. They both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed and covetousness and their avaricious behavior that made them squirm in their seats. Finally, the lawyer said, Preacher, why did you ask the two of us to come? The old preacher mustered up some strength and said weakly, Well, Jesus died between two thieves, and that's why I want to go too. (laughs) So obviously that's just a joke. (laughs) But think about the truth that Jesus spent his entire life breaking through social barriers, tearing down traditions, masquerading as doctrine. The kingdom of God is for everyone, and this means that one day we are going to find ourselves in heaven surrounded by a lot of people that we might be surprised to see there. People with tattoos, people who drank too much, people who never took off their hat when they prayed, people who might like the Dallas Cowboys. Just kidding. Just got to get one out there. Sorry, Greg. Even the thief on the cross who looked like he was way past his last chance. Yes, even people like him will be in heaven. Unity is the prayer of Christ, and we are going to dive into the deeper value behind why Jesus was praying this for each of us. So go ahead and turn, if you haven't already, to John chapter 17, 
We're going to be in verses 20 through 26. If you had a phone, you can Google John, type in 17, it'll, it'll pull it up. So here we go. John chapter 17, verse 20, you see on the screens as well. Jesus is praying this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. These are powerful words from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Our first point this morning is that unity in the church reveals the truth of Jesus to the world. Unity in the church reveals the truth of Jesus to the world. Our first point is clearly seen right here in Jesus' own words. In fact, Jesus says it twice. In verse 21, he said, So that the world may believe you have sent me. And again in verse 23, So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Friends, I love that the Bible has truth. So simple that a child could make sense of it. Verses like these ought to encourage us not to be intimidated or feel like we need a seminary degree or some kind of advanced theological training to understand our Bible or to tell others the good news about Jesus. You see, we can read a verse like this and understand that Jesus is praying for oneness in the church so that the world would know the truth of Jesus. Already we're seeing the purpose of this prayer the growth of God's kingdom. And more and more people seeing the truth of Jesus and believing. This is what Jesus desired. Do you desire it too? You know, the beautiful thing about Scripture is that it can be like a pool shallow enough for a child to wade and all at once deep enough for a whale to swim. This happens to be the case for this prayer as well. So let's challenge ourselves to swim where whales tread. This unity that Jesus is speaking about is described more accurately in verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, this can feel a bit complicated to understand what Jesus is saying. So the first thing we need to define is the kind of unity Jesus is talking about here. Let me begin by telling you what Jesus is not referencing. The first one is Jesus is not referencing an organizational unity. 
What this means is that Jesus is not praying that there would only be one single denomination or one institution that everyone operates underneath like some big umbrella. Jesus isn't praying that the Southern Baptist would rule the planet and every Christian would cry out, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Organizational unity is not what Jesus is praying for. This would rely too heavily on man-made systems and structures. It would buckle under the weight. A second thing that Jesus is not referencing is Jesus is not referencing a basic theological unity. What this means is that Jesus is not praying that all of the future believers would come to some kind of agreement on the lowest common denominator of theology, like an ecumenical approach where we cooperate with another church or believer through trial and error seeking to find the most simple things to agree on Theologically, like having hope or being a good person and therefore become unified. You see, this would rely too heavily on the strength of platitudes or good human intention. When we think unity in Christ, we often default to one of these two things and we are selling ourselves short. We are missing out on the greater blessing of the unity that Jesus is seeking. You see, in all those examples, you're not actually getting unity. You're getting conformity. I mean, how many churches say they value unity, but then you join them for a period only to realize that there's unity only if you conform to what they support or agree with? If everyone looks the same, acts the same, thinks the same, even votes the same, that's not unity, that's uniformity. I once spoke with a pastor who shared a story with me about a deacon at his church who turned a young man away on Sunday morning because the young man didn't come to church with a coat and tie. He said, come back when you're, when you're dressed properly. Um, another church, I spoke with a high school student. He was told by the pastor's wife that he's not welcome to come back to that church until he straightens out his life. Friends, your church will never have biblical unity if you are unwilling to make room for authentic diversity. Do you think that Jesus' disciples were comfortable dining with tax collectors, prostitutes, and thieves? Going into the homes of sinners and sharing a table with them? The church is not some kind of country club for your comfort. It is a messy, life-saving emergency room for the broken and the hurting. Unity is born from diversity. The kingdom of God and the local church are designed for diversity. We see it celebrated numerous times in the Bible. Just consider even the 12 disciples. None of those guys ever would have been friends. Crazy group of men. Look what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In fact, read all of 1 Corinthians 12. You'll see so much more. Paul continues in, later on in that chapter, verse 29, are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret 
The Bible makes it clear that we are all given different and diverse abilities, diverse gifting, and yet we are all members of one body. How quick we are to forget this in our relationships within the church. I have a bright young man named Trey Story who will be taking over our youth ministry at Lake Avenue. Him and I couldn't be more diverse. He's musically talented. I am not. I'm very athletic and sports-minded. He is not. I'm quick to speak. He's quick to listen. He's very coachable. And sometimes I think I know it all. If I were trying to hire someone just like me to conform to my image, Trey is not who I would have picked for our church. Instead, I know that Trey is going to bring diverse skills and ideas to our team that I would never have thought of. I'm certain that our differences will cause us to to have a need to focus on good communication and probably will butt heads over some things, but that is where unity is born. I experience the same thing even with my wife, whom I love more than anyone on this planet. But God could not have picked a more diverse person for me to marry. She goes to bed early, I stay up late. She enjoys time alone, I hate to be alone. She likes to follow the rules, I like to make up my own rules. (laughs) And the list goes on. And I'm sure many of us have relationships like that. And if you have invested and sacrificed for them the way that my wife and I have for each other, I'm sure you understand the deep richness and intimacy that comes from unity. Jesus is praying for unity in the midst of diversity of every person who is going to come to saving faith in his name. And it gets better than that. I already shared with you what Jesus was not talking about. Now let me share with you what makes this unity so special. Jesus prayed for oneness or unity in the same way that he has unity with God. At this point, we understand the kind of unity Jesus is asking for when it comes to Christians interacting with other Christians. But this unity in Jesus' prayer establishes a factual reality that justifies the subjective experience of unity that Jesus is calling his followers toward. Let me, let me unpack this some more. We are not unified because of our language, our location, or our traditions. We are not unified because we agree that abortion is wrong or that baptism is important. These things are good and true, but we, meaning every Christian everywhere, are factually unified because of the relationship we all now share with God because of the work of Jesus. Let me say this again. Every Christian in every time in every place is united in the work of Jesus crucified and resurrected. Every Christian in history and around the world is bound together by the same apostolic gospel preached thousands of years ago. This is a factual reality. Jesus isn't asking us to become united or to become one. He's already accomplished that on the cross. We are united together with God because of the work that Jesus did. The question for us is not, are we united? Jesus has answered that question by reconciling all of us and taking our sin upon himself. 
Our unity is a factual reality. The question is, are you living in light of this unity? Paul writes this to the Philippians. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If this were an easy thing to do, then the church wouldn't be so fragmented. I wonder if that's why Jesus was praying this over us. The question remains, we know we're united in the work that Jesus has done, but are we living like it? What hoops do other Christians need to jump through to earn your approval? Could there be traditions masquerading as doctrines in any of our ministries? Jesus makes it crystal clear why we should not just let this slide. Unity in the church is not just something we can brush off as though it were optional. Jesus chose to pray for this during his last moments on earth. And as I've already mentioned, Jesus twice declares why this unity among the believers is so valuable. So that the world may believe you have sent me. Church, do you realize that how you are choosing to interact with fellow believers could impact the process by which the world believes God sent Jesus? Unity in the church is not an option. Unity for every believer, with every believer, in every location, time, and church is vital to the salvation of the world. This is why Jesus was praying unity over all of us. He even preached about it during the Last Supper when he told his disciples that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our unity and self-sacrificial love is key to the power of our testimony of Jesus to this fallen, idolatrous, self-obsessed world. When ministry leaders commit crimes, when our church members abuse and mistreat pastors, when our denominations split in two, when we stop choosing to love our neighbor, church, we are getting in the way of the gospel. I firmly believe that there is little we can do to decrease the power of the gospel. And that's a good thing. But man, there sure is a lot of things we Christians can do to distract from the gospel. Over the past few years, I've heard from so many pastors and church leaders that ever since 2020, people have just stopped coming to church. Ministries have slowed down. Attendance has decreased. Everyone just automatically assumes it was because of the government shutdowns or fear, and I'm sure that's part of it. But what I remember in 2020 was all of the infighting. I remember all the churches competing to see who was and who wasn't wearing masks, to see who was switching to live stream or who was still, you know, meeting and having in-person services. What if it wasn't COVID? 
or government shutdowns that led people away from the church? What if it was our disunity? How dare we let the darkness of our fears and the darkness of our pride ever distract from the light of the gospel? Jesus prayed that Christians may be one even as he and the Father are one. It's already factually true. We just need to live like it so that the world will know the Father has sent his Son to save. This was the core of Jesus' prayer, but he continued to pray for us to receive the benefits of this factual reality of being one with Jesus and the Father. To share in the unity of the Trinity. Not to say we are part of the Trinity, that would be false. But to share in the same type of unity as the Father shares with the Spirit and the Son. This is a beautiful thing to consider. And Jesus adds to it in his prayer. Unity invites us to experience the glory of Jesus in heaven. Unity invites us to experience the glory of Jesus in heaven. This truth should not surprise too many believers. We have hundreds of songs written about this very thing. In fact, one of the most widely loved Christian songs written in the last few years was about this very thing. You'll see the lyrics behind me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Oh, church. Oh, Christian, this is what Jesus has prayed for you. If if you've missed the first point, that's fine. Now is the time to wake up. Do not miss this. The Lord Our Savior, the Son of God himself, prayed, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. This is perhaps the greatest encouragement that we are going to hear this morning. Jesus is praying that you, believer, will make it to where Jesus is. In case you need to hear it twice, Jesus is praying for you to make it to heaven. He is asking God on your behalf to ensure that you come to Jesus and join him in eternal paradise and get to behold all the riches of his glory. You know, I'm not sure what your personal experience has been with praying and whether or not you feel like your prayers have been answered. But let me just reassure you, if the Son of God... If Jesus himself is asking for you, I got to say, I feel like the odds are got to be at least a little bit above average that that prayer request is going to get answered in a mighty way. Remember, this entire section of Jesus' prayer began with the words Jesus prays, for those who will believe in me through their word. In case you didn't catch that in the beginning, Jesus is talking about every person in this room. If you are someone who has come to faith because of the truth in these pages, you are someone who has believed in Jesus because of their word. Jesus is praying all of this for you, for us. 
You are a son or you are a daughter of the king. The old is gone. The new has come. Heaven waits for you. And all of the revealed glory of Jesus is yours to embrace because of the unity you have with him. As I try to fathom this inexpressible goodness awaiting us in eternity, I find myself thinking of Paul's words when he wrote this letter to the Romans, the Christians in Rome. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In case you didn't know, Paul was writing these words at a time when Christians were actively being arrested, brought to trial, and publicly executed daily for their faith. And yet he had the audacity to say to those Christians in Rome that their suffering wasn't a big deal. Why would, how could you say something like that? Unless the insurmountable glory of God that is to be revealed to us could, could go beyond the deepest depth of their hurt and suffering, and it was not worth comparing to the overwhelming goodness to come from the glory of Christ Jesus. Jesus prayed for you to experience this depth of intimacy with him. He kneeled before his Father and asked the God of all creation to bring you to heaven with him and see his glory. Wow. can only imagine. And, and just think, when we get everyone in Pueblo to hear this good news, it's going to turn this town upside down. And yet, Jesus kept praying for us. Our last point this morning, unity with God is hope for eternity. In the closing verses of chapter 17, the final recorded words of Jesus' prayer, he prays, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, Jesus draws a line here. A line between the world who does not know God and the people to whom Jesus has made the name of God known. By this point, we've seen incredible blessing born from the unity we have in Christ. In his closing words, Jesus makes it simple that the love of God that is in the Son is also in the church and enables Christians to reflect and to communicate God's love. As he was praying this that night, Jesus must have known what was going to come in the next few hours. He knew his disciples would be scattered. He knew what he was walking into with no fear. He knew that they would come back, that they would receive the power of the Spirit of God he knew that they would preach and take this gospel all over the world. He knew that we would be sitting here one day, those who will believe on account of their words. He knew that we too would be imbued with the same spirit of God and the ability to reflect and communicate the love of God to each other and to this world. And is that not our calling? Let us go and be the church. Let us be hands and feet, eyes and mouths and ears in the richness of our diverse gifting, 
May we love sacrificially, looking to the interests of others as we increase the kingdom of God. It's going to be tough. We can't just stay in our holy huddles. We're going to have to go to tough places. And you're going to have to interact with tough people. And we're running out of time. Some of you might be thinking, you know, well, Scott, I've lived a lot of years. And I've done a lot already. And that's probably true. But if God didn't have a reason for you to still be here, you wouldn't be. If you woke up this morning and there's still breath in your lungs to pray, words in your mouth to preach, God isn't worried about whatever challenges or, let's be honest, excuses you might have. Yes, even in the twilight of our lives, God can use us, will use us, because in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. You know, there's just one more song I'd like to remind us of as we close. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and the time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair, when the saved diverse shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the saved diverse shall gather. Even Johnny Cash understood that the unifying work of Jesus would extend to all walks of life. How much more then should we, the church, seek to love and labor with every Christian and every person who is to become united in Christ? Maybe some of them will look different from us. They might be older, younger, longer hair, no hair, different clothing styles, different languages. No matter what these surface level differences Jesus is making all things new. And he has declared that all can come to him for salvation from the sin and the broken things in their lives. May we never forget to reflect this kind of love to the world. And so, if you've been a Christian for a while, and I want to invite you, I think, are we playing another song after this? During this time, I want you to, to pray. It comes out of Psalm 139. He says, God, reveal to me. Point out anything in my heart that offends you. Repent. Take, take a moment in your seat. Close your eyes and pray and say, God, is there any place in my life where I have set up boundaries or barriers to unity? Are there any prejudices I've held on to? Are there any traditions that I've elevated into doctrines? God, forgive me. Help me to turn away from that. And if you're here and you're still trying to figure out what you think about all this, you're not sure where you are with Jesus. You're not sure if you're united with God. I want to challenge you. Ask God to reveal himself to you. You see, everything we've talked about this morning, that's for the believer. That's for those who would believe. That's not to say that God doesn't love you. I can assure you he does. He sent his son to die, to pay the penalty for the punishment of your sin. Jesus did that because he loves you. But you see, you have to be united with God. You must be in relationship with God to access these blessings. And it's real easy. 
Paul, Paul tells us, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. He said that to a pagan man who worked in a jail cell about to commit suicide. Even him could be saved by Jesus, was welcomed, was invited. There is nothing that disqualifies you from hearing the gospel. All can come. All can be united with God, and there is hope for eternity. Take this next time to pray. Pray for that person who doesn't have that unity with God. Pray for our church, Aberdeen, and the church around the world. God has a global church that we would be united. You see, that's what speaks to the power of Jesus in this world. And we're willing to set aside the things that make us uncomfortable. We're willing to, to give up our, our convenience because we know that we have a higher treasure for eternity in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die and rise again. Lord, you sent your son on a rescue mission for people who crucified him. God, is there, is there any limit to your love for us? Thank you. Thank you that all can come. God, give us the spirit of power. Grant us the power of your Holy Spirit that we can lay down the, the things that we've been carrying, the, the, um, the guilt, the anger, the bitterness, the entitlement, whatever it may be, Lord, show us a better way. Show us the truth of unity. God, allow us, invite us into opportunities to express unity in the midst of diversity. God, create in us a desire to see our church reflect our community. To see our church look like the people who live in the houses that surround it. Lord, please, Continue to sustain us that we may be with Jesus and see his glory in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, in advance because I know God's answered that prayer. We are yours forever. The sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. God, thank you for using people like us to be the agents of transformation, to distribute and point people toward the good news of your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to feel excited and encouraged and empowered like a fire set in our bones that we can go out in the strength of your word in the name of Jesus and share this truth and it will bring transformation. Your word will never return void, Lord. Let, let that be etched upon our soul as we go on mission for you next door at our job, at the grocery store, praying for the guy who owns a small business down the street, wherever it may be, God, send us. We're saying yes. Lord, use this church. In Jesus' name, amen.